Slow Burn Media and Evergreen Podcast presents Who Killed, a podcast that provides a voice for the voiceless. Another Wisconsin family is hoping the suspect in the Deppis case will finally lead to some answers for them. 18-year-old Barrett Beck was killed two years before Deppis. New at 6, 12 News Mike Anderson reports on why police are looking at a possible connection. It's always there, you know. Yeah. We're kind of just a phone call away from getting the phone call that we wanted to hear. When Dave and Diane Beck say they know how the Deppis family feels, they really do. Larry Dwayne Hall, the suspect in the Lori Deppis case, has also been looked at in their daughter's murder. In 1990, 18-year-old Barrett Beck of Sturdivant disappeared while on her way to a computer class in Appleton. Her van was found near Forest Mall in Fond du Lac. Her body was found in a ditch near Waupon. Investigators told the Becks they had questioned Hall about this because he was in the areas where the two young women disappeared. Supposedly, at the time Lori disappeared, there was a Civil War reenactment going on up in that area when she disappeared. Um, also the same when Barrett disappeared. Um, and several other girls. Um, from Illinois and Indiana, we were told, that had disappeared in areas where he had been for a Civil War reenactment. But the Becks say police told them Hall was being uncooperative when questioned, and investigators still are not prepared to officially link him to the Beck case, and so the Beck family is still looking and waiting 21 years later. We don't know if... if if he's talking at all now, if uh, you know if Barrett's name is coming up with him again or not, um, some say he has, and some say he has. So you know we don't know who to believe at this point. The Becks say they do believe in the thing that's kept them going all these years, and that is their faith, which tells them that at some point. They will get a break in the case. And they're still doing all they possibly can, aren't they? Toya, they have even established a Barrett Beck Memorial Scholarship Fund at Racine Case High School where uh, Barrett was a student. Anything they can do to keep her name in mind. Hello and welcome to episode 191 of Who Killed? I'm your host, Bill Huffman, and this is a Slow Burn Media and Evergreen Podcast and Killer Podcast production. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. If you're like most true crime fans, you've probably been enjoying the new Apple TV series, Blackbird. This show tells the true story of potential serial killer Larry Dwayne Hall and his friendship with a fellow prisoner, who just so happens not to be who he says he is. Now, you may be surprised to learn that the TV version of what happened between the two main characters is actually remarkably accurate. While there may be some... Artistic choices made here and there, I will say that this has definitely become my favorite show since Mindhunter. Now, speaking of, you can come back anytime you want. Netflix, you've dropped the ball, and you probably understand that there's a reason why I'm talking about an Apple TV show and not anything from your network. So, do better. In this week's show, I will give you a background on the main antagonist, and that is Larry Dwayne Hall. And again, the vast amounts of crime that he could be associated with. I'll be quoting from CNN, HistoryVerseHollywood.com, a great study from Radford University, and a few other publications talking about the show. 
I will include the links in the show notes as well. Now, I'll do not... I'll do my best not to spoil the show, and if I feel like I'm getting a little too close, I will call it a day. And we all have Google, so we can all find out what happened if we really want to. But in the meantime, here's my little breakdown of the great new show, Blackbird, and the characters of Jimmy Keene and Larry Dwayne Hall. CNN reported that Jimmy Keene didn't have enough money to keep up with the rich kids at school, so he started dealing drugs. Now, upon finishing high school and not being recruited by any major universities, he decided to embrace the world of drug dealing. Well, federal prosecutor Lawrence Beaumont didn't like that type of lifestyle, and uh, he had a belief that another guy named Larry Dwayne Hall was a mass murderer and responsible for more than 20 killings. So, out of all these supposed Larry Hall victims, only one body has actually been discovered, and that is... Jessica Roach. That would be the girl that you see on the Apple TV show. Hall would go on and sign a written confession that he had abducted Roach, sexually assaulted her, and murdered her by strangling her with a belt. Now, with a murder so involved, one would probably figure there would be plenty of physical evidence. However, investigators could never find enough physical evidence to charge Hall with the murder. And, well, Hall went on to retract his confession by claiming he'd only been referencing dreams that he'd been having. So they were unable to pinpoint exactly what happened and where Hall had killed Roach. And, again, she entered his vehicle, and they don't know what happened after that. So Larry Beaumont, Lawrence Beaumont, who was the prosecutor, was concerned about this conviction being overturned. So, with the federal prosecutor concerned that the defense would succeed in getting this conviction overturned, he was really concerned about Hall walking free. And time was running out, so this is when he basically hatched a plan with Jimmy Keene and met to discuss a deal. Now, Hall was waiting for the court to consider his appeal, sending Keene in undercover to befriend Hall was the prosecution's best shot at getting additional incriminating information, including the burial location of another one of Larry Hall's victims. Following James, Jimmy Keene's conversation with Larry Dwayne Hall about the murder of 19-year-old Trisha Reitler, Keene discovered Hall in the prison workshop with a map that had numerous red dots scattered all over it. Keene also noticed 10 to 15 little wooden falcons lined up on the table, each falcon had the dimensions of a good-sized chess piece, according to Keene. Now, Keene asked about these figures and their significance, and Hall said that they were there to watch over the dead. So, Keene was a smart guy, and he was able to put together that these were probably the burial spots for some of the victims of Mr. Larry Hall. Now, in an interview with Dateline, Keene would go on to say that the map of Illinois and Wisconsin had little red dots all over it. You look down at this map and you could see all of those little spots are burial spots where he's got somebody. Now, according to CBS News, it was in 1992 that Larry Hall confessed to the murder of 20-year-old Lori Deppies and Menasha... Police Chief Rod McCant said in a press conference that Hall, 48, was never charged in her disappearance but was a person of interest in the case for a number of years. 
Uh, apparently, Deppies vanished outside of her boyfriend's apartment after getting off of work in 1992. While Hall admitted to investigators that November that he encountered Deppies while she was working at the Fox River Mall. He then told police he followed her car to Menasha, about 35 miles south of Green Bay, and lured her into his van. Unfortunately, there is no hard evidence linking this guy to her disappearance. But he did have knowledge about the crime that wasn't publicized, and that is according to CBS affiliate WDJT. Quote, I don't believe this case can be closed simply on his admission. Whether it be the body clothing fibers, any type of physical evidence that could connect Mr. Hall with the crime, McCant said. And police were now, at this time, searching for Deppie's remains. So Hall was from Wabash, Indiana, and he was never charged with murder because police couldn't pinpoint where Roach was killed, as I mentioned before. Now, Roach's disappearance did lead to a confession, and this is when Hall became a person of interest in the Deppies case because, well, you know, pretty much a similarity there. And according to Investigation Discovery, Hall was a Civil War buff, and they do highlight this in the show. And so he would take place in these reenactments across the Midwest. And basically, he could have been doing this for a number of years and committing these crimes. But uh, there are still a lot of victims' bodies that have not been discovered. As I mentioned before, it was 1993 when Jessica Roach was abducted from her Illinois home. Now, she was raped and strangled to death and then dumped into an Indiana cornfield. Now, almost a year later, that's when police connected Larry Hall to the 15-year-old's murder, and other young girls told their parents about a man driving a Dodge van and managed to get the vehicle's license plate number. This is also portrayed in the show. Quote, that plate came back to Larry Hall, who we had never heard of at the time, said Gary Miller, then the chief investigator for the Vermilion County Sheriff's Office in Illinois. When investigators in Indiana interrogated the former janitor about Roach, he reportedly admitted to raping and strangling multiple victims, including Trisha Reitler, who was 19, and this would have been around six months earlier in March of 1993. Quote, all the girls looked alike. I cannot remember all of them. I picked up several girls in other areas, but I can't remember which ones I hurt, he allegedly told detectives. The following day, however, Paul had recanted again this alleged confession. Again, Reitler's body remains missing. In 1995, Hall was found guilty of kidnapping Roach, and a judge sentenced him to life behind bars without the possibility of parole. The mandatory federal sentence when a kidnapping results in death, according to Larry Beaumont, and that is also according to CNN. CBS would report that Hall was not charged with murder in the case because, again, authorities could not determine if the victim was killed in Indiana or Illinois. According to the Buffalo News, Hall eventually allegedly admitted to murdering over 15 girls and women, including 20-year-old Lori Deppies in 2010, after convicted drug dealer Jimmy Keene was offered his freedom in exchange for coaxing a confession out of Hall. This is where the show begins. So it's really interesting to know that he was doing all this crazy stuff way before he was ever even caught. Authorities believe that suspected serial killer would and could be involved in probably 
probably dozens of other disappearances and murders all across the Midwest. Now, Hall's appeal attempt failed, and it did result in him attempting suicide. And again, I'm not going to spoil anything because, again, I'm not going to be that guy. But Jimmy Keene, you're probably wondering about him. Well, he basically wrote the book that this whole show is based off of. And, uh, you know, when he's retelling the true crime story of James Jimmy Keene, the tale follows the former high school star footballer. What led him down him, led him, what led him down a certain dark path and how he had found redemption? According to this article, it was quite a journey. And what exactly had happened? And, uh, you know, what did Jimmy Keene really do? Well, again, he was nicknamed the assassin on the field. He was a star player for Kankakee Stridge High, which is uh, southern Chicago. So he was a Southsider, and uh, as we know about Southsiders, they are tough. And uh, Keen basically would, uh, you know, go on to sell some drugs just a little bit. And his house was raided in 96. And, uh, yeah, that was called Operation Snowplow. I'm not going to take a huge guess on what that was in relation to. Maybe selling coke or, you know, blow. He was sentenced to a mere 10 years in prison. And, uh, well, he did not like the idea of that whatsoever. So this is when he actually was given the opportunity to befriend Larry Hall, and he would have to change jails. This all occurs in the first episode of Blackbird. So Keene would have to wait out his prison term in a minimum security prison, which was good, but it wasn't what he would wanted to do, especially since his father had recently become sick. Now, Keene did take the deal, even against his father's wishes, and yada, yada, yada. So, like I mentioned before, Keene goes into the Missouri lockup and is somehow able to become friends with a genovese crime family member and plays bocce ball with them and it's uh actually the true story crazy i know uh he spoke to dateline in 2012 and he said that he had hopes of uh that his role keeping hall behind bars had allowed him to earn some line of redemption he said quote i did a good deed and I did a lot of good things, he said in the TV interview. That's where I feel that redemption comes in. I've done something good for the things that I did wrong. So, you know, that sounds like a typical uh, response, as one would, would have if they had gone through this whole experience. So Jimmy Keene is actually still alive, and you will see his name in the credits because he is an executive producer on the show. Now, again, I told you that this, this whole show is based off his book, and that is called In With the Devil, A Fallen Hero, A Serial Killer, and A Dangerous Bargain for Redemption. Now, he co-wrote this book with investigative journalist Hillel Levin. So the book comes, you know, out and it becomes a hit. And, you know, again, there was like every book that becomes a huge hit. Everybody was attached to it. Brad Pitt at one point was attached and yada, yada, yada. But it took a long time for things to coalesce, as we say. So in regards to Keene, he would appear on a number of TV shows regarding Larry Hall and his case. Uh, 
Now, some of the research that I'm about to dive into here is done by Brittany Begley, Casey Frith, and Carrie Elliott. And I believe this would have been Dr. Amalt's class at Radford University. And this was from the Department of Psychology. So they gave a really, really detailed timeline about what Larry was up to most of his life. And this is a really impressive digging because I can't find anyone else other than maybe the FBI that would have done a better job. So I'm going to highlight a couple things that stood out. It was 1962 on December 11th when Gary and Larry, his twin brother, were born in Wabash, Indiana. Now, Gary and Larry lived on a cemetery, and they did dig graves with their father. So that was an interesting time period for him, and one that led to a lot of bullying and ridicule. He was very quiet, antisocial, and, you know, he had a low IQ. He did not get a lot of attention, and... Uh, it was about the age of 18 that he was actually suspected of his first two crimes, and this would have been 1981. Now, at the age of 18, this was uh, Hall I'm talking about here. He is supposedly connected to the Dean Marie Pyle Peters, a 14-year-old who disappeared from Forest Hills Central Middle School in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Now, they believe Hall to be her abductor. The second was on August 31st of 1981, and this was another. This was actually a 12-year-old girl, and that was Deborah Jean Cole, and she was last seen in Lebanon, Indiana. Hall is also a suspect in her disappearance. So after the first two suspected disappearances, Hall may have stopped or taken a break, or maybe was afraid of being caught, but there was a reprieve between age 18 to 22. The next incident came in 1985 when this victim, still missing, Jennifer Lee, vanished from Purdue University. Then that same year, the body of Marie Marcy Fuller Swinford, who was 21, was found in a wooded area near Honey Creek. She had been strangled and sexually mutilated. You know, as we saw in the Dahmer case, the craziness inside was building up to a point where he couldn't control it. So Hall, between the age of 22 and 26, well, he's suspected now of 15 women's disappearances. And that is what seems to have happened here. I mean, with the ability to move around doing his Civil War reenactments, he was able to move quietly across the Midwest. I mean, he stalked girls and young women. I mean, a complaint in one town wouldn't necessarily make it over to the other, this being the 70s and the 80s. And while Dahmer and Hall are two totally different animals, it was Hall who was able to get away with his crimes for a much longer period of time. They both may have had close calls with the police, but eventually the depravity of Dahmer was too much to overlook. Hall was able to keep on killing after being questioned by police. It put a bit on the police who apparently didn't think he could be a vicious serial killer. But it was 1994, on July 24th, when the wheels slowly began to fall off. This is when Natasha Crockett and her sister Nicole were playing with their cousins across from their home when they noticed a brown and tan-colored van parked across the street. They thought it was weird, and the driver was writing something down. So the van pulled up to the girls and asked them if they knew where Woodlawn Street was. They said no. 
the man asked Natasha if they would like to go for a ride. They said no and ran into their home. Like everybody should do, take a lesson from these women. The young ladies told their parents about the van and the van was driving by their house. The parents got the license plate number. The van was registered to Larry Hall. Think about this. It was July 1994 when the plate was reported. This predator, predator had been stalking the streets all over the Midwest for over a decade. And in spite of being seen at the scene of this incident, the police didn't confront Hall. He would go on to be suspected of a few more disappearances. It was on October 28, 1994, when Detective Sergeant Jeff Whitmer of the Wabash City Police Department received a fax from Gary Miller of the Vermilion County Sheriff's Department. The message stated that Miller was interested in discussing two attempted abductions in Georgetown, Illinois, and did Wabash police know a man named Larry Hall? Miller did tell Whitmer, or told Whitmer, that in both attempted abductions, young girls had identified a town, a tan brown van with a license number of 85B3752. And of course, when they ran the plate, came back to Larry Hall. He also told them about the unsolved murder of Jessica Roach. Whitmer knew Larry Hall and asked if there were any military reenactments in the area during the time. Bodies kept popping up after Hall was arrested, but they had been determined to be possible victims of Hall because of the decomposition and the similarities within the crime scene. Larry Hall is an enigma wrapped in a mystery, as cliches go. He could either be one of the most prolific killer of women in modern history or a prolific liar in a class with Otis Toole and Henry Lee Lucas, who claimed to have killed hundreds in a massive murder spree. Most of their claims were found to be bunk, although Toole is believed to have been the killer of Adam Walsh, son of John Walsh, the host of America's Most Wanted. An interesting thing to note, and that is... He was, again, never charged with murder. Yes, he is serving life in prison, but they couldn't find enough physical evidence to connect him to any of these other murders. So it's interesting to think that this guy could have been out there all that time and he didn't leave all, you know, any DNA or any sort of proof that he was there. I mean, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence amongst this case. I mean, they even throw out his name as being a possible suspect in the Springfield 3 case. Any true crime fan can Google that. They know that's a rabbit hole that is going to take days to get out of if you dive into it. Again, those girls were... Oh, they were all staying together, and they disappeared on June 7, 1992. And that was uh, just one of those... You know, there was a lot of interest. There was Robert Craig Cox... There was Gerald Carnahan, there was an ex-boyfriend, but then there was also Larry Dwayne Hall. So it is very possible he could have been involved in that case, but who knows, because Hall admits to a lot of stuff and then recants a lot of stuff. So today, Larry Hall is actually incarcerated at the all-male Federal Correctional Institution Butner Medium 2 in North Carolina, and this is where he's expected to be the rest of his life. According to Blackbird, he did attempt suicide following his failed appeal attempt, but that was unsuccessful, and he has since confessed to several more killings. And then guess what? 
he recanted them all again. And that is all I have to say about Larry Hall this week. With Blackbird still fresh, I don't want to be a spoiler. So thank you so much for tuning in this week. I am working on a guest next week to discuss this very case. Until then, as you know, I drop new episodes of Who Killed every Friday, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. If you'd like to donate to the show, you can do so via Venmo with my username at Bill-Huffman-3, or you can use trusty old PayPal. If you'd like to stay up to date on the cases that I have covered, and anything new that may be coming up, feel free to follow me on Twitter at BillHuffman3. Until next week, thank you so much for listening, and as always, stay healthy and be safe. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule, history so interesting, it's criminal. I want to take a moment to tell you about my podcast, Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage. In 1984, a woman named Phyllis Cottle was abducted in broad daylight, tortured, and left to die in a burning car in Akron, Ohio. At the time, I was a rookie reporter covering this horrific story. Since then, I've reported every kind of crime imaginable. I've been able to leave most of them at work, but not this one, the one that buried itself under my skin and stayed put. Phyllis Cottle was a badass woman, and I want to tell you her story. A production of Evergreen Podcasts and signature title of the Killer Podcast Network, you can find Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more great true crime and paranormal programming at killerpodcast.com.